So that's pretty brave of you. And so if you're listening to this one again, let me know and I'll uh, I'll keep revealing private details about your life uh, right here on the podcast, Antonia. So uh, thanks very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Antonia. Cool. Now, what are we doing today? Right. Um, we're going to be discussing fully automated luxury communism. Mm-hmm. Now, dear listener, listener in terms of a singular, just one <laughs> listener probably, if you're like me, then you've probably never heard about fully automated luxury communism. Exactly. So Carlotta brought this up a while ago, and I had no idea what the hell that was. I mean, it sounds fucking amazing, right? I'm really curious to, to learn about it. But the idea for this show is that I didn't do any research for it. So in the past couple of shows, what we did is we both did some research, and then we told each other about it. But this time, uh, the idea is that Carlotta did all the research, and she's explaining everything about it to me. And I'm going to ask questions. And then we're going to talk about it sort of later uh, during the podcast. But the cool thing for you guys is going to be, you're going to get to learn about it as I learn about it. So that means you have to come into this whole thing with absolutely zero knowledge. All right. I also don't want to make this uh, some kind of essay. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to talk about what I think it is and, and what this uh, guy was saying in his book. And then you can ask me all the questions that, that you want. Of course. But please interrupt, interrupt me often so we, we can discuss oh, this. Oh, you know me. I will. Yeah, because there's actually a lot to discuss. I think it's uh, cool. very interesting. Um, but yeah, Fully Automated Luxury Communism is um, a book and a sort of idea by this guy called Aaron Bastani, um, who I think is uh, English. Uh, but well, that doesn't really matter. Um, but his idea is basically that we could live in a future where we don't really have to work anymore and where everyone has everything they need. And that's fully automated luxury communism. Um, so why does he say that? Well, in the book, he starts by talking about disruptions in history. And that's like, um, so he's observing uh, uh, technological changes that have affected humanity a lot. So the first disruption, for in his opinion, is agriculture, which, uh, yeah, we can see how that affected uh, humanity a lot. And then the second uh, disruption is actually um, the steam engine. But the third disruption comes much faster than the interval between the other two, and that's right now. And, and it's a bit difficult to say exactly what it is, but it's related to the sort of information technology revolution, you know? Um, all to do, yeah, with uh, data and, um, well, he, well, we'll get, we'll get to that. Computers but the point is, stuff. yeah, and the point is that um, this kind of technology g uh, gives us the possibility of like developing, I don't know, things like renewable energy, and like doing asteroid mi asteroid mining and right. space travel and then automation, of course, that's the most important thing, getting machines to do the job that, that people do, right? So he's saying, okay, these technologies are the base of, of the third disruption, which means that the future is being made now, but in a very radical sense, you know? Because in whatever direction we take these technologies uh, is going to determine a little bit what happens in the future. So what he's, what he's really talking about in the book is like, how do we manage this technology so that we can use it for the best possible um, reasons, right? Yes. That's, that's his technology. Sorry, his, um, his idea. Um, so yeah, do, do you think any of these technologies are actually like uh, uh, reasonable? Because he's talking about, he, he, the, the technologies that he's talking about are renewable energy. Mm -hmm. we, we know quite a lot about that, right? Um, asteroid mining, um, artificial intelligence, and then also technology about biology, which is this is what I find super complicated because i don't really know that much about it but this this has to do with things like creating food out of nowhere right you know biological engineering and things like that okay. which I, I don't i don't know i don't know too much about this but yeah the point is that he's like yo okay we have all these technologies um and do you want to make a, a world in which uh, the the uses of these technologies is dictated by profit or do you actually want to figure out how, how we can uh, mm -hmm. create a world where, where no one has to work so that's the goal so the objective if you will is for no one to work yeah, but because, um, well, not exactly not to work at all, but to work very little hours. Okay. Because the idea is that um, when we get rid of all the labor that is not like stimulating to us mentally, that's n that mm -hmm. doesn't contribute to our development as right. humans. Mm -hmm. Once we get rid of all that kind of labor, yeah. then labor and leisure sort of blend into one right. thing. And, and that's how humans can really develop. When they, this, is, this is what he, what he means when he says uh, going from the realm of necessity yeah. to the realm of freedom, right? So we would, we would live in a world where there's no scarcity anymore. We have all the resources that we need mm -hmm. and uh, we have all the technology that we need so that we don't really need to work much. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds very Marxist, 
that that's straight from uh, the Communist Manifesto, where Marx is essentially saying that um, in the ideal Marxist world, uh, you'd work in the I, th- I I forgot what the three professions were, but I think it's something like being a fisher in the morning and then being like an artist in the evening or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where yeah, you yeah. basically like you have a lot of um, time to sort of uh, lean into the human activities. Because the thing is that like this is something that uh, Marx observed as well, and that many Marxists will talk about for the past since the steam engine was invented and, and like technology started developing mm-hmm. productivity has increased exponentially mm-hmm. um and e- economies in the past this includes for example Keynes, thought that such increases in productivity would mean that we would work less and less hours because right. it, it makes sense that if you can produce the same amount of shit yes. with uh, with less hours that you would work less but mm-hmm. instead of working less or or getting more money or something like that we see the opposite we see that our technology, our productivity increases, are used to produce more, and we end up working more hours for less money. Yeah. You know, so we, we could already be moving towards a world where people need to work less. Mm. But because we have this tendency to overproduce, and, and because capitalists always want to capture a more market share, mm-hmm. and they want to, to produce more and more and more, yeah. all the productivity increases don't, don't take away uh, work hours. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I would love that, you know? Why the fuck do we have to work 40 hours a week if well, we like, could work less? I guess the argument here, and I'm just going to like phrase the argument like I think um, the hardcore capitalists would phrase it, is kind of like the reason we're living longer now than we did 50 years ago and the reason like our health is generally better, the reason like you know child mortality, all of these things are, are just improving all the time is because we make new shit that makes us better, that makes us more survivable, that makes our life more pleasant, like we can... In theory, we can fly to the other side of the world. We have phones that have cameras in them. In a way, that also enables us to express ourselves artistically. Um, sure, but let me ask you a question. Where does most investment go? Right. So, all this, all these technologies that you say increase our life, uh, life expect- expectancy, for example, or improve our health. Uh, they're they're uh, technological changes in very specific fields. You know, uh, mm-hmm. if someone figures out a way to produce tables at a faster rate yeah that can hardly have like a very good effect on your on your health or anything like that so all, all the money that you're investing on increasing this kind of productivity which which we don't we don't need to produce uh, uh, more goods let's mm. say than we do or at least not not for every kind of good perhaps uh, when it comes to medicine or things like that then that would be good but uh but if we're, if we're talking about uh, other kind of shit that we don't really need we don't need productivity increases in those areas mm. That that money could be uh, invested much better somewhere right. else. Okay, so the argument is really more about allocation of of all the resources. In a way, in a way, it's it's about yeah, it's about how we want to drive technological change, and the way to drive technological change or to manage technological change is through investment, mm-hmm. right? Because that's that's how you you choose where you're, you're putting your priorities. Yeah. So it obviously doesn't determine it. You still need people to have breakthroughs and things like that, but that's obviously more like more likely to happen if you invest much mm-hmm. more, right? Um, but the thing is that uh, he also says that this is is sort of inevitable um, that we that we are confronted with this question and that our society has to has to come up with answers to it. Mm-hmm. And his point is that if we don't start thinking about it now, this is going to be a problem. Um, why? Because well, he says that we're already seeing that automate automation is is replacing people, right? In 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 jobs, what this means is that the usefulness of labor becomes lower and lower and lower, mm-hmm. which means that as a factor of production, you become less important, you have less bargaining power, you have less power overall yeah. in society, you know? So uh, there will come a, a point where we will have to think about what this means for us in the sense right. that if we if we get to a point where war- where machines can do most of the work, mm-hmm. what are people going to do? Are we all suddenly going to be poor because only those only those few who still have jobs will be you know, we'll be able to make money yeah. or are we going to try to figure out a society in which our, our life chances do not depend on us working a 40-hour week which mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but also he says that, well, the, the development of this technology is going to happen for sure because we're, we're faced with like a shit ton of crisis, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we have migration crisis, debt crisis, financial crisis. We have a shit ton of crisis. But for him, there's five main crises. So we have climate change. That's uh, that's uh, quite quite an obvious one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have resource scarcity, resource scarcity with respect to energy and minerals mostly, mm-hmm. but also water apparently. Um, societal aging, 
people are not dying anymore, unfortunately. Mm. So like we have higher life expectancies. So yeah, people get to live much longer, but also birth rates are going down. So overall, you just have uh, older populations that you're gonna yeah. have to maintain at some point, right? You have a shit ton of old people sure. on pensions that um, need to be maintained by a, a, a smaller and smaller popula- a working population. Um, you have a surplus of, of, of like global poor, a lot of people that cannot find employment anymore, especially now with the, this whole pandemic. Mm-hmm. You, you see that that's really a problem. And then you have automation, right? The, um, unemployment due to automation. Those are the five main, main crises. Any, uh, which one do you think is perhaps our biggest challenge? Biggest challenge uh, in terms of what? Um, well, what poses a more existential to humanity. threat? Yeah. To humanity? Well, I think the climate change argument and the running under resources uh, argument are very much linked. Yeah. Because I think the if a lot of people who want to solve the climate problem also want to solve the resource problem. I think the resource problem, that's one that's on my mind a lot. Like, I think water wars are going to be fucking terrible. I think a lot of the civil wars that we're seeing right now in Yemen or Syria are at least in part due to climate change. But again, because the climate is changing, um, crops uh, yield much less and there's less food to go around. So, yeah, I think may- maybe I would choose that one. I, I, don't, I don't think of automation necessarily as as a threat. I think that's a challenge, um, personally. Yeah, well, I mean, automation, it scares the shit out of me because automation relies on IA. IA? Yeah, IA, no? AI. AI. Artificial right, In Spanish, is the other way around. Yeah. Um, Until you say yeah. it in Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 Inteligencia artificial, yeah, yeah. That sounds so cool. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, renewable energies and mm-hmm. uh, resource scarcity, they're actually very much related because mm-hmm. if you want to uh, transition towards a carbon-free or fossil-free uh, world, you need certain resources, which are not abundant mm-hmm. on Earth. So, for example, solar, solar panels and, and solar technology is perhaps the most advanced renewable energy technology and the one that is more promising right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cost of producing solar energy has been decreasing very, very rapidly in the past yeah. few years. But um, there's two main problems. Well, actually, you just need, you just need minerals and, and metals that mm. you can't really find easily on Earth. Okay. They are abundant. Right. But the thing is that they are closer to the core of the Earth, which makes them very difficult to mine, All right. very okay. inaccessible. And also expensive, so it's not really yeah. cost efficient to 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 mine them. Mm. But in asteroids, Ooh. they're much more readily oh, available oh, oh. We're because going to space, everyone. yeah, because asteroids are are parts of um, of uh, of a solidified uh, country uh, country planet. You know that, that just mm-hmm. they're floating. They split off. Yeah, um, and they contain all these metals that. In Earth are closer to the core mm-hmm. because I, I don't know I don't know exactly why but all this no, li- makes sense yeah. because if it's a if if it's a chunk of a planet anyway yeah um and some comet hit that planet and then that started you know floating into outer space then there's a good chance that part of that comet is actually from the core of that planet right yeah exactly so w- there's actually three types of of asteroids <laughs> I watched a really cool video about this it was really it was oh, really cool. interesting there's uh, S types M types. And C-types. S-types, mm-hmm. silicon type, C-type, carbon type. And then the valuable one is M-type, which M. is the metallic. Mm. And this one has like nickel, but importantly, like co- cobalt, I think, is the one that's mm-hmm. uh, quite important. I'm not, sh- I'm, I'm not sure, but I think it is. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, cobalt is what you use for, le- for electronics, right? Yeah, Your I'm sure. Your phone has, sure has that. Uh, I know that's coltan, no? Coltan, yeah. Yeah, I've never I'm not sure, but the point is that uh, you also find lithium. And lithium mm. is very important because if you want to transition towards a renewable energy world, you need to store energy. That's mm-hmm. the biggest challenge to yeah. renewable energy right now. We can produce energy at a cost-efficient price in a renewable way, but we cannot store it, which means that we are dependent on, for the, for example, the sun in this case, if you're talking about solar energy. So if for a while there's not a lot of sun, then, then there's not a lot of energy mm. because you can't really store it. So when you have peaks of, of, of energy, you can't really use that surplus and, and put it away. And um, that's that's where that's where technology comes in as well. We need to develop our technology uh, with respect to batteries, lithium batteries. Right. But we also need lithium, and that's why we also need asteroid mining. Lithium apparently. lithium plays which part in batteries? I have absolutely no idea. Okay. I just need to know. But I it probably has something to do with how much energy you can store. Yeah. In yeah, the yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know 
I don't know how important it is. I don't know um, how soon we will run out of lithium. Mm -hmm. Those are actually questions that we can't really answer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different opinions on this. Uh, when I was when I was writing my essay about energy, I actually uh, came across this this issue, the the minerals and metals issue. Where yeah. are we going to get them from? They're going to become I- I very very yeah. expensive because they're going to be harder and harder to find. Right. And so, mm, like you know what I read? What did you I, read? I read that because when you said earlier that uh, it's not easy to get them, um, I remember I read an article that basically said, no no no, we have abundant rare metals because that's what they call rare yeah, metals. Yeah, r- rare metals. Um, but they're all in China. There that, are, that's true. Like they're 95%. all in China. A couple of them are in, in Russia, and then some yeah. others are like sort of in the you know Middle East, uh, Arab Peninsula. But completely region. negligible. They're not. Yeah. 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 But yeah. like China essentially has a monopoly on rare earth metals, which means that China, if you want to put an IR spin on this whole thing, China gets to decide. Yeah. You know who gets to access these metals. Yep. Yeah. 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 That that is that is true. They do have a monopoly, but even for China right now. I think it's not cost effective to start mining these minerals. Mm. Um, I don't remember why, actually. So don't, don't take my word for that. I think that was the case. But in any case, it is mm-hmm. true that we believe that most of our resources uh, or mineral rare, rare earth, earths, I think that's what they call it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of them, or at least the accessible ones, are in, are in China, that's for sure. Right. Um, but in terms of asteroid mining and things like that, yeah, I tried to, because this guy seems very, very optimistic about when we're going to be able to to do that. The thing is that all these technologies that he's talking about definitely will happen at some point in the future, but we don't know how long, uh, y- you know, in, in the in the distance in the future or whatever. Well, assuming, assuming we make it that far. Yeah, as well. Assuming yeah. we don't go extinct any time before yeah. that. Um, I mean, asteroid mining is definitely a possibility. You have two, two, pos- two uh, ways w- that you can do it. The one that would be better is if you could send a spaceship to the to the asteroid belt mm-hmm. and pick and choose your comets the from asteroid there. Asteroid belt. Yeah. Where's the asteroid belt? Um. So I think it's uh, you, s- you know the solar system. I've heard of it. Yeah. Right. So the sun <laughs> produces a a, f- a field that yeah. shields us right. from comets coming from outside of space. Really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not doubting you. I'm really just how. Uh, gravity, I think. Gravity. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not a physicist. Okay, so we don't have so to have go. No we'll look but this up. Wait, but actually, that's no, cool. I'm curious. A- I didn't know that. Asteroid belt, because I don't know if this means. Yeah. So. Asteroid field. It's a torus. I don't know what a torus-shaped thing is, but it's a torus-shaped region in the solar system. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's actually located roughly between the orbits of the planets of Jupiter and Mars. So forget about it. It's actually uh, a Jupiter lot of and Mars. Yeah, a lot of. Uh, oh, that's still before us. Like that's still like it's still further away than Earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but it's so not cool. as far away as I thought it would be. But that's still really good because if it was like between Earth and Venus, then we wouldn't benefit from it because all the asteroids would only be stopped after Earth. Do you know what I mean? No. Like, um, so if it's between Mars and Jupiter. Yeah. Right, and Mars is the closest planet, but it's further away from the sun. Yeah. And Jupiter is also further away from the sun, uh-huh. right? If there's an asteroid belt in between those two planets, then that means any asteroid that enters is going to be stopped by the asteroid belt there. Oh, but right. But if the asteroid belt was between, let's say, Earth and Venus, yes. then it would only be stopped in between you mean those. It could, you mean it could hit us? It could hit us, and it would like any asteroid would only be stopped after. Asteroids can hit us anyway. This is something. This is why NASA has been funding. This is where where um. The technology for for asteroid mining and and survival sort of cross. Yeah. And this is something that NASA has been researching because NASA is worried. I don't know if they're maybe worrying a bit too much about this, mm-hmm. but NASA is worrying that one time in the future, at some point, uh, an asteroid will come towards us that might be way too big. Yeah. And that could destroy us. I and mean, we had one on Wednesday. On on Do you Wednesday. Know about this? On Wednesday. Yes. This on Wednesday. This Wednesday. Um. No, I don't. I I didn't. What What was it? There was a, I think it was something like 1.5 mile wide asteroid that came within 3 million miles of Earth, which relatively speaking is very close. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, they, they saw it coming for a while, but uh, obviously there's always people who are like, well, what if it's going to change its course or what if we miscalculated it? But then it passed on Wednesday. I actually watched it in a YouTube live stream and people were just like, has it gone yet? Is it is it gone? Like, we're really worried. Like, so people, some people were really worried about this. Also, there's a great coronavirus conspiracy theory linked to that. What, that it came from a comet or something? Mm-mm. No. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, sure. All right. Um, the idea was that 
that planet, that comet, or that asteroid. Uh, I think I know. Actually, a comet I think is only what it's called once it enters the atmosphere. Like if if an asteroid enters yeah. the atmosphere, it it starts to burn and then it's a comet. Okay. I think that's the definition. But that asteroid was on its way here, and then obviously the world government, right? The people who run everything in conspiracy theorist terms, um, were like, "Fuck! If that hits our Earth, then it's going to destroy everything." And people are not going to have any food, and we're not going to be able to survive. And if no one survives, then who are we going to, you know, run? Who are we going to manage? Dominate. So they release Corona. By the way, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. This is a conspiracy theory. I'm not saying this actually happened, but this is what people are saying. Um, we release, we release, we release <laughs> Corona, and Corona is going to force people to stock up on food. So if the asteroid does hit Earth. We are going to um, make sure that some people will survive because they will have stocked up on food, so they won't need to rely on like infrastructure and supermarkets and stuff like that. On top of that, because they're already creating such a such, so the idea behind this is that um, it's always a holistic um, decision that that these people in charge make. So they're saying not only are we going to possibly uh, ensure the survival of our species but also because we are n- because we know that we're going to create such a crazy situation we are going to sell our stocks before this all happens or we're going to buy shorts on specific stocks that are going to tank right so the idea is that even if the asteroid doesn't hit earth we're still going to make money off it so it's always like a very concerted effort to at the same time defend your position as the right. the the rulers of the world and at the same time increase it because if it doesn't hit you'll still be richer after oh, that's such a weird that's a weird conspiracy yeah. theory and and then they were saying and see what happened on wednesday the comet passed and the first governments are saying we're going to open up again <laughs> yeah so so that's that's right. the that's that conspiracy theory but that was uh, kind of a rabbit hole back to you oh, all right okay um yeah so asteroid mining it's probably not going to happen in the asteroid belt anytime soon, but another possibility is that if that happens, if a comet like uh, the one that came close on Wednesday mm-hmm. um, arrives again, we can potentially sort of push it towards the moon, apparently, and, and make it crash in the moon, mm-hmm. or simply mine it uh, on space. Mm-hmm. And for that, we need a lot of shit. We need like technology to land on comets, uh, which actually exists already. This is something that a Japanese yeah. university created. It, it was a Hayab- Hayabusa or something oh, like that. Oh, the European Space Agency did land on a on an asteroid. Really? Yeah, yeah, that already happened. Well, I, I know, I know uh, the the Japanese uh, um, whatever space agency they have also mm-hmm. also did, and it was really interesting because they actually showed pictures of the comets, mm-hmm. and it looked super beautiful. It was actually really cool. Wait, like real pictures? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Ki- kind of, a, kind of a a, a a video with like. Made of pictures, you know? A video? Uh, sort of, of like, pictures. not a lot of frames. Yeah, yeah, like a GIF, basically. Yeah, sort of, but very slow, you know? So, like, yeah. you see a sort of progression of... of cool. Uh, yeah, but um, it looked really cool. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is that these technologies are actually quite on the way right now. Um, for a very long time... I'm trying to find a way to sit, but... Yeah, yeah. it's not great. Um, for a very long time... Space research and things like that was was just a NASA thing or or, or a thing of CERN and mm-hmm. you know space agencies from either the US or 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 Europe or things like that. Mm-hmm. But suddenly we see that companies, private companies uh, that invest that research space things, are being opened. So we have one called Rocket Lab, for example. Mm-hmm. They try to make space travel uh, a normal thing, you know, so make it cheap cheap mm-hmm. to send spaceships uh, to earth to the moon you have uh, another one called moon express i think they want to create a, a mining station in the moon of course you have spacex which now yeah. works with with uh, nasa this is why actually blue you know origin who, you have uh new origin I, i've heard of that blue, but, uh, blue origin uh, that's uh, amazon maybe? amazon yeah. yeah do you know about that i don't know i don't know what they do what's their goal i don't know some world government stuff i mean if jeff bezos is doing it then it's probably something very vain this is this is uh, why you know who Neil deGrasse Tyson is. Yes, uh, he's he made a prediction that the world's first trillionaire will be a person, the person who manages to like sort of win the space race. Okay, it'll be a space imp- entrepreneur, basically. You know, I used to like him, but then he was on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he was such an asshole. Why? Oh my god! Like he he's he smart and he knows it. He's yeah, I guess he's smart, but like he like every time Joe Rogan would like say a word, it was like I don't know that word, 
You know, he he would go like, "You don't know that word? Didn't you go to school?" Like, he, I don't know. He was just really condescending and total dick. And I was, I'm, I'm just like, there's enough really intelligent people for me to choose only intelligent people to listen to who are also nice. I don't need to listen to <laughs> smart people who are assholes. There's I, too many smart people. Yeah, I, I see what you mean, but I don't think he's an asshole. But uh, I have seen in, in some interviews mm. that kind of attitude, which I think comes with him not realizing that that he knows way too much for an average person to understand what he's talking about. You know? Yeah. Um, but he does a really good job also at at simplifying simplifying science. If you ever watch I, Cosmos, I that's that's really. It's just. I think I was just personally emotionally shook because yeah. I just liked him before, and then he turned out to be a dick. Same with Bill Maher. Like Bill Maher was also on the Joe Rogan podcast, yeah. and he was also a dick. Th- to be honest, I think people have an insane obsession with celebrities, or not even celebrities, mm. but you know, heroes. Sort of like everyone has a hero, mm, yeah. And I think that's that's a, that's a big mistake. I think that happens with everyone. Like Marxists have a hard on for freaking Marx and they think that Marx said you know Marx yeah. knew everything he was right about everything uh, that's not true he's left about everything that's kind of the point <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay I'm a dad now um, uh, anyway what about Bernie is Bernie a hero no I, I saw this argument people are like Bernie Sanders is not a hero he's just the best we could produce right now and we should vote for him I, I agree with that but I also don't think it's really his fault it's just that no one's a hero no one's a hero heroes don't don't exist really i i don't think so i mean i think it's it's wrong to to put so much value on a single person because most of what we do is actually collective efforts even uh, when when you see people leading political movements Mm. they are the face of the movement they're not the movement no of course not so I think we, we tend to attach too much value to single people and we tend to sort of idealize them when, it, yeah, they're just humans at the end of the day. I guess, but being a hero doesn't mean that you're not human. Like, I'm not saying they're superheroes. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying they can, like, lift buildings. I'm just saying there are some people who throughout their life just continue to make decisions for other people. And at some point, I think if you accumulate enough of that good karma, if you will, Maybe you qualify as a hero. Um, really? Yeah. Make decisions for other people? To me, that sounds... Like benefiting other people. Uh, like what I'm saying is Bernie Sanders is a talented guy, a talented politician. He could have become a sellout democratic um, you know, establishment guy. But he didn't. He just like every day he made the decision again to you know, kind of make his life's work to improve the lives of ordinary people. I think that's heroic. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, and then in that sense for you, heroism is more about someone dedicating their life to a cause. Yeah, I think that's a good definition. Not necessarily whether the cause is successful or whether they're tackling no. the right thing. Um. Well, I probably wouldn't call someone a hero who's like doing really terrible things. No, 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 I know, but, I know, um, but... But, but yeah, I think, I think dedicating your life to like a, a really good cause and like being selfless, that, that can qualify you as a hero. But anyway, um, I don't know how we got talking about this. Yeah, me neither, actually. Mm. Oh, maybe maybe about talking about like Elon Musk and people like that. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, Elon Musk is also really into like the space race. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll see we'll see who wins. But anyway, the point of of um, this whole thing is that yeah, so technology is gonna is gonna go crazy at some point because of increases in computing power, but especially mm-hmm. because of information. The, th- the thing that makes the third disruption different from the previous ones is uh, resource scarcity or actually the absence of scarcity. So a post-scarcity situation. Why? Because data is not scarce at all. At all mm-hmm. right? We're constantly producing information and actually we have more information that we can process. Yeah. So that is a f- it's a factor of supply that is essentially infinite. Mm-hmm. You know, data is, is, is infinite. Mm-hmm. Um. So that makes this 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 makes this 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 disruption quite different because now all you have to do is increase computing power so that you can you can process more and more right. information yeah quicker and that should that should bring you to in, in, like really crazy technological advancements especially in the field of AI. Uh, you ha- do you know what machine learning is and deep learning? Yes. So for those who don't know, you, do you want to explain? <laughs> oh, okay, putting me on the hot seat. Yes. So deep learning, it's basically it, it is. God, I feel so much pressure now. But basically, 
Um, machine learning means that you enter data into a software or into a system, and the only thing that the uh, software knows most of the time is the goal. So however that machine can achieve that goal, it'll learn from that. And so one of the ways to do this is a thing called uh, neural network neural network exactly. learning, yeah. which basically means that it makes new connections, and each time it evaluates the way that it got to the goal, and then it checks out whether it could have done this more efficiently. Um, or whether there's anything they can improve the neural net the neural network, um, and so the machine learning part about it is just that instead of having a human, uh, you know, redefining the parameters after each trial run, you have the machine doing it uh, automatically. Yeah, yeah. So th the idea is that you can't really code every possible reaction into a machine, right? So you need the machine to learn. Mm. And deep learning is exactly what you said is 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 a machine learning with a neural network, which which means that it's imitating in in some way a brain. Not not completely because we don't really know exactly how the brain works, but it's imitating the way uh, it works. So people, a lot of uh, researchers, uh, develop different ways of creating a neural network, and we're we're making progress in this. But mm -hmm. I think this guy is overestimating a little bit where we are right now with AI. Can you repeat his name again, by the way? Aaron Bastani. Aaron Bastani. Yeah. Okay. I think he's English. Okay. But um, okay, he has an I English. I, I just no, I just wanted to make sure I I actually know his name. Okay. Yeah. Aaron Bastani. Okay. But. The, at the moment, AI with this kind of technology can tell what things are in pictures and can translate things in real time, but there's not much more that it can do. So we're still quite far away from a machine actually being able yes. to perform the tasks that a human can perform. Yeah. It's a very long technological horizon. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I don't think this takes away from his argument because his argument is not really that this is going to happen, uh, I think, in 50 years. I th he does think that it's going to happen relatively recently, maybe more recently than it is going to happen, but mm -hmm. that doesn't change the argument that it is going to happen at some point. Right. So we need to start thinking about what we want to do with these technologies, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so his, his, his um, proposal is fully automated luxury communism. We take these technologies and we create a society where we don't have to work and where there's no scarcity. Why? Because uh, work becomes less and less necessary because automation can do everything at some point. And actually that makes labor redundant anyway. So we would have basically millions and millions, well, actually billions of people without, without a job that how are they going to survive if, mm. if the system still is based on... Yeah, on, on, on traditional productivity. Yeah, which actually that's, that's one of his arguments that this our whole economic system would, would break down. It wouldn't make sense anymore because the most important factor of supply, which is information... Is basically free mm. and is and is uh, not scarce at all. So you can't really make a profit out uh, out of it, and because automation is doing everything, you don't really need labor anymore. So actually, you also don't really have people getting paid to buy things. So our whole system is going to break down, mm. according to him. Yeah, um, I can see that. It it is there, maybe it won't happen in exactly the same way that he he says it, but these trends are there, and mm -hmm. we need to see where they're going. But his point is that there is a danger. And this is something that we are already seeing mm. that corporations will find ways to actually still make profits are out of a factor of production that is completely abundant. Damn corporations! Can you guess how they might do this? How they might do what? Um, try to make information unfree. Unfr oh yeah, of course. For instance, by censoring the internet or like by making it uh, less available. I think that's what they're trying to do. Uh, in the United States already, right? Yeah. So, so basically, where you can put like uh, restrict, like for instance, one of the ways that they do it is um, they make internet free for everyone, but if you want a certain speed, then you have to pay for it. Yeah. Which Fine for instance, like, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's way to to make data not free. Also, I could imagine them um, actually paying people off and basically getting a monopoly on their data. Monopoly. That's another one. Yeah. 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 But I, I mean, again. Capitalism is very inventive. The the dangers that he identifies are mainly two. One is creating monopolies. This is, for example, what Facebook does. Mm -hmm. Facebook uh, has so much of our data and, and really has a monopoly over over the data that people create when they're constantly watching all, all this content and, and, and looking up things uh, on Facebook. And then mm -hmm. also patents and copyright and things like that oh right that are trying to make uh, ideas and information a private that's a weird one it's a weird one right it's a weird i one. kind of understand that you for example would have a patent right for maybe one or two years mm -hmm. to give you a head start because yeah. you created it that that makes sense right kind but of, yeah. a 10 15 year patent that can only slow down the mm. rate of progress you know it makes absolutely yeah. no sense that's the chinese argument against it 
what, what I, do you mean? I saw a document about documentary about Shenzhen, uh, which is this. Um, I don't know if you know it. It's uh, it's yeah. the it is the it's special not prefecture. economic zone. Yeah, it's a special economic zone, but it's also a uh, what do they call that? Come on, uh, like is it in Huandong province? Yeah, province, province, exactly. It's a province like very close to Hong Kong, and that's where they make um, all the technology, right? It's a special economic zone for technology. And I yeah. saw a documentary about that once, and basically the idea is that they disregard patents at all. They're saying if you cannot guarantee that you're still better the day after you invent a product, then you don't deserve to keep being the best, right? So you have to be able to constantly get better and better and better. Yeah. And and people are saying, like, that's why Shenzhen is getting so fast. There's a really cool documentary on this, on how they basically re-revolutionized hardware. Because um, up until a couple of years ago, um, there were a couple of big companies. They were American, uh, Intel, uh, AMD, I think they're called, uh, and IB, IBM. Yeah, yeah, IBM. So they're the ones who make chips. They're the ones who basically control how fast processors are for end consumers. And then eventually Shenzhen came in and was like, wait a second, we can actually still do that. Like, we can do that again now because we now have the technology. Yeah. So it's on YouTube. I think it's a Vice documentary or something. I can really recommend it. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Um, what about because this is something because we did energy uh, both of us together what about the transition to renewables because this guy he assumes that we're gonna there's gonna be a transition for sure Mm -hmm. soon because of two reasons one climate change two resource scarcity Mm. that fossil fuels are scarce but the the, the scarcity argument is one that that has been coming into question recently Mm -hmm. um with uh, developments in technology, actually, you know how the U.S. began, um, you know, extracting their own oil, uh, refining their oil. I don't know what the word would be actually. Yeah. Uh, but fossil fuels are not actually scarce. They just m- might be not really economic to. I don't know if I access. agree. Well, what do you mean they're not scarce? They we used to think they were scarce, but now that we have different technologies um, that allow us to extract it, extract res- uh, these resources from places that we previously couldn't access we see that actually they're much more abundant than we mm. think they are. The problem is that because they're so difficult to get, they're not economic anymore mm. because renewable energy is becoming much more competitive. Well, what I, my take on this is that it is true, so speaking about oil in particular, it is true that um, the limitations for when oil, when we will run out of oil were always pushed back. So in the 60s, people were saying we won't have any oil in the 90s anymore, and then they kept pushing it back. Um but with the technology that we have now and like kind of knowing what even the, the, the ways are to look into how to get oil, um, this 2050 limit that I keep reading about, um, I think it's a United Nations agency that put that out, 2050, we might run out of oil. Um, I could see that being the case. Like I, I could see us actually running out of oil. That's in 30 years. Because oil is like a very finite resource i think i think gas is a different story yeah, it, it, that counts as well it's not only yeah you know, I, I what i'm what i'm saying is I, I could see humanity finding new ways to get gas like using shale extract extraction for one thing oil i don't know i'm not so sure if, if we can actually continue to push it um push it into the future that much i don't know i think yeah th- those are th- thing is that we can't really know the answer to those questions because we don't know exactly how much oil there is and how much of it, it it's accessible and because we're not scientists we yeah. have no idea uh, actually yeah that's true as well yeah um but anyway getting 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 back to this what, what do you think of of luxury communism well i have a question mm-hmm. in what way is it different from what andrew yang was proposing what is what andrew yang is proposing andrew yang um he was a democratic presidential candidate this election season and he was basically running on the platform of UBI, Universal Basic Income. That's part of this as well. Right. Um, so he was talking about the freedom dividend. A lot of a lot of what you're saying, I feel like, is kind of echoed by his campaign, which is that you know automation is going to take away jobs. We have to start with the UBI. Um, perhaps in the future, we'll even have to increase the UBI simply because our economic system isn't made for, um, you know, for this scenario where all of the things that you just said, which I think are very reasonable are going to happen. So in and and I, I guess the the heart of my question is Yang is a capitalist at the end of the day. Yeah. Right? But a lot of the solutions that you're proposing now seem like they're more left wing, more communist. 
how is the solution that that what's his name again? Adam Bastani. Bastani. How is the solution that Bastani uh, suggests, uh, particularly communist? Okay, so so far we've actually only discussed um, a problem that he that he presents, mm-hmm. which is um, we are in in this world of scarcity right now. We have this so this many crises coming to us: climate change, unemployment, aging populations. You know all those things: resource scarcity. And uh, technology offers us the tools to solve those problems, and also offers us the tools to create a, a sort of post-scarcity, post-work society, mm-hmm. right? But what does that society look like? And he's not going to tell you exactly. A, he's not going to give you a blueprint, a blueprint of it because that, this is something that actually pisses me off when people ask you about you. Yeah, but how would that work? Blah blah blah. Of course, this is that is policy making. That is something that takes years and years to 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 figure out. With a lo- lot mm-hmm. lot of people seriously considering an alternative, you know, you can't be a random academic and suddenly come up with a blueprint to to govern the whole world. Mm. That makes absolutely no sense, right? You you give directions, you give ideas, you give guidelines, which then need to be explored further by policymakers. They need to see if it's feasible or not, right? Yeah. So he's going to give a few ideas. Cool. His first idea, UBI or UBS? UBS. Yeah, that's uh, so UBI, Universal Basic Income, UBS, Universal Basic Services. Oh. So there's two choices. One is you give people money, mm-hmm. that's UBI, mm-hmm. or you have complete and absolute access to all important services in life, meaning that everyone oh. can get transport for free, everyone can have healthcare for free, everyone has house ca- housing for free, those kind of That's things. That's cool too. Right? And then and then your your I think your work, which wouldn't be many hours, would be what would count towards your sort of personal or additional consumption. Interesting. But all the all other important things are covered already. Yeah. Um, that's his first sort of measure that mm-hmm. he says is really important. This is related to automation and jobless, right? Mm-hmm. Then he says central bank reform. This is something that I find really, really interesting. So economics and governments would tell you that... I, I'm sure if you, you did uh, some economics in PPLE. Yes. Do you ever remember something about central bank independence? No. Right. So this is something... If you're an economics student, in, in your first banking class, mm-hmm. they will tell you the, one of the most important things in the fucking world is that central banks are independent so that they're not controlled by politicians. Right. But if central banks are independent and they're not controlled by politicians and they're also not controlled by people, that makes the one of the the most important monetary tools or economic tools that we have, our monetary policy, mm-hmm. is in hands of an undemocratic, unelected mm-hmm. body. Who elects the presidents of the federal banks? Like who? Uh, gov- governments, I think. Governments just yeah. appoint them. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. Like for example, the ECB right now, who isn't it? Um, what's, what's the name again? Lagarde, no? Yeah. And she Christine used to Lagarde. be the IMF. Uh, yeah. Uh, IMF woman. Which, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna get into that. I'm okay. not gonna get into that. But um, yeah. So, the thing is that a central bank operates by choosing between two targets, basically. So either you control inflation or you control unemployment. If you choose to control inflation you're benefiting the capitalist. If you choose to to uh, manage employment, you're, you're benefiting the workers because there's a trade-off between them, sort of. So if an, an economy is uh, um, getting into trouble, you can use the monetary policy to do either either to decrease unemployment and increase inflation or the opposite, to decrease inflation but increase unemployment. Inflation affects capitalists because it, it raises the cost of things, Yeah. which means that it becomes more expensive for them to produce. Yes. But unemployment obviously affects the workers negatively because they don't have a job. Yeah. But okay. Yeah. How, how can a central bank control unemployment? Um, it's it, it, th- this is done through money supply and interest rates. If interest rates is uh, are low, uh, that facilitates borrowing. It it, me- it means that the economy is moving more money, which means that you're you're sort of pr- probably producing more, investing more, and there's more jobs mm-hmm. basically. But you run the risk. Of inflation because the money the economy gets, right. gets hot right yes and then prices begin to increase which starts to hurt um, capitalists um, so in that situation you you're forced with the choice of do we want to have more people working and and, and, and inflation or do mm-hmm. you know you have to choose basically mm-hmm. um, so what what this guy says is like yeah no we this is not it, it makes no sense that we always choose inflation you know mm-hmm. we, we're always helping the capitalists right so we want we need to take this uh, central bank institution and make it democratic mm-hmm. and also use central bank investment to move technological change in the direction that we need. So a central bank is probably one of the biggest investors in the economy. Right. And the idea is that if we can use all of that money to uh, invest in productive or important relevant technology, mm. that we can actually change much as well. Mm. So that's his second measure, uh, central bank reform, 
not making it um, independent, but instead democratic and accountable. Then he's uh, talking about attacks on currency and uh, and and attacks on on yeah, um, sort of yeah, attacks on currency to avoid speculative investment. That's also not that, that hard to understand. It's just uh, he's trying to avoid uh, investors moving their money around just mm-hmm. where the profits are. You know, never yeah. really stick into a to a business or anything like that. And then he's also talking about this is the this is the most communist part socialized capital. Mm-hmm. What this means is that he wants um, instead of having companies like we have right now to have worker cooperatives mm-hmm. worker cooperatives are companies that are owned by their workers you know this is something that already happens a lot of cooperatives yeah. exist in the world but his idea is that if you reform the central bank and you can manage investment through the central bank you can also pass policies uh, create policies that would favor um funding for cooperatives lending money to cooperatives you know create a more favorable f- favorable framework for cooperatives to mm-hmm. to exist to uh, you know become the normal way of organizing yeah. production yeah that's a very communist uh, thing yeah for and sure. then the last thing that he says is we have to end gdp we have to end gp gdp yeah he said like basically stop 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 Stupid calculating measure. It. It, it makes no sense like why are we uh, calculating progress in an economy in terms of how many goods we produce or how m- how much is the money value of those goods yeah that's so weird right it makes no sense it makes no that's sense that's really strange yeah and the thing is that it biases our whole perspective of whether an economy is doing well or not mm. right because we're yeah. gearing everything so dumb towards this everything in our economy yeah. is done to increase gdp which is one not sustainable we can't no. keep increasing technology we need to find a way of moving beyond the production of of goods and services mm. to a, a sort of different kind of production uh, well actually services probably is it's more mm. the goods side of the problem. Mm. But yeah, he says that we have to stop uh, calculating GDP and moving our economies in, in terms of what GDP is going to do or not. And we should create other measures to measure pro- to measure progress. So is he suggesting moving to something like PPP, which is a little bit more customer and like end, end, end user like geared? Or is he saying we need something that isn't economic at all? I think a little bit of both. Like we probably also need some economic indicators. But I think... Uh, uh, Mainly, he wants to measure success in the economy in terms of, for example, is inequality reduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's still economic, Genie you know, but it's also very, very polit- political. Yeah. Um, is is the is the environment being affected by it? those kind of things? Yeah. Uh, is technology is technology at, at yeah. progressing at a fast rate? Is technology democratic? Is is access to all these things uh, democratic or you know widespread? Yeah. He needs. He wants to that's develop other sell. other indicators mm-hmm. and to forget completely about. Mm. So yeah, in summary. We have a problem. We have many crises that we have to that we have to solve, especially those coming from energy, climate change, and resource scarcity, and very importantly, automation. Now, what we do now with those technologies is going to determine to a large extent what's going to happen in the future, especially in the fields of um, renewable energy and uh, AI. So we have to start thinking about how we're going to manage technology, how we're going to manage patents and copyrights and things like that to make sure that companies don't appropriate these profits. Oh, actually, did you know there's a there's a space treaty? I would have imagined, yes. There's a space treaty. I think it was uh, signed probably like around the 60s, probably after uh, man went to the moon. You know? Well, America won the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Make no mistake. There's um, an American but, flag up but there. But the, the treaty says that, and this is signed by over 100 countries, including the US, mm-hmm. no country no government can appropriate anything on space mm-hmm. space is communist basically uh-huh. space is everyone's you know who doesn't give a fuck about that trump she who xi jinping ah, right yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah they don't go, like th- those those treaties like especially when they're abstract like that i mean the united states just started launched their air like their what, what, space force you don't yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah like it's Lux- the same luxembourg also has a, a Space Go Luxembourg. Yeah, I know. For right? sure. If I had to choose between the US going to space and Luxembourg going to space, for sure I would go for Lux- Luxembourg. Um, but like, I, I feel like America is going to go about this the same way they go about war. The okay. official way to go about war is to have Congress uh, declare war on a country. Um, but most of the wars, like Vietnam, for instance, there was never an actual declaration of war. Right. It was just, you know, sort of like these, these missions that, you know, soldiers were there for. To uh, to execute, and that's the same way that the U.S. is gonna go about space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess this is also what they did in two thousand one, right? 
Yeah. The UN said no, we're not going to go to war, and then they, you know, went to their little friends. Yeah. Spain. Although that, although the Iraq War was was passed by Congress, which doesn't make it any less illegal. But not allowed by the <laughs> UN, which is no. like the sort of global yes, authority, I, and and that's I the agree. kind of authority that would exactly that would enforce the, yeah. the the space treaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right now, space is communist, but we don't know if it will stay that way. I think yeah. probably now that countries are realizing that space travel is it's becoming a reality, not in the near future, but in the mm. medium to long term future they'll begin to reconsider whether space is really communist. Yeah. Though I really I really wish property wouldn't get to space. Private property. Property wouldn't get to space. Like it would be That'd awesome be if space would be just, you know. Well, if we if we wanted want. to take it philosophical, I know we're towards the end of the podcast, but if we really wanted to take it philosophical, right now we could kind of say like can we even think of things in space as as being anyone's property or is it just is that just sort of some sort of uh human you know, abstraction of human ideals onto something that is so foreign to our species. It is, it is. The thing is that I, I think a lot of people don't realize that private property, and when we say private property, there's a difference. Communists don't say that you have to share toothbrushes. Mm. And I'm not a communist, I have to say that. Mm. I, you I, don't share your toothbrush? Not no, 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 now. Not at the moment. Yikes. In the future, if there's shortages, I guess we'll have to. But um, communists don't say share share all your shit and you can't have every, anything. That's not mm. true because there's a difference between possessions and property. Oh, I never heard about this. Possessions are things that, that you own because you use them or, or because of uh, occupancy. So mm-hmm. like maybe a house that you live in. A bed. Something like that. But um, property refers more to productive assets or cap- capital. Or, or like houses, you know. Um, houses. Like real estate. Real estate. Difference between real estate and houses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... Pr- so Property is not so much simply like a pen or something like that. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's more related to productive assets and things like that. Um, so that's what, what uh, socialists would claim cannot be owned privately because it's the result of the collective labor mm-hmm. of all humanity, mm-hmm. mostly. Like all technological developments and things like that, those come um, at, at because people worked for it, not just because one person uh, decided to buy it and I don't know. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, property doesn't make much sense at least not when it comes to means of production yeah um so yeah i i, I don't know property is, is, is a weird it's a weird construct i think it's, it's something that that it's definitely something that you know it's, it's good to think about yeah 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 but yeah so what did you think of uh folk fully automated luxury communism folk folk i'm trying to think how we can make that into momo eats the folkly no. No, I think it's going to be moments the bigly fully automated luxury communism. I, I We'll see. I ha- I have maybe I th- I'm think I think we can do some other things with it. Yeah, okay. We'll give that a thought. What do I think about it? I think it's a very future oriented way to think about things and I like that because what I don't like is how this whole world is just eating itself up right now. Yeah. There might be some people listening to this. That's the end of the sentence. No, just kidding. There might be some people listening to this who are kind of going like, okay, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. Like, uh, you know, future talk, you know, space mining. What is all that shit? I'm kind of on the opposite opposite side where I'm like, it is crazy how much infighting there is right now between governments. It is crazy how, you know, there's, there's strongman governments all over uh, the world right now that are just, you know, not helping humanity at all. And like, we need to realize that we are one species and that we are more interconnected than we have ever been before. And not only that, because we were also more interconnected in 1850 than we were in 1840, right? But we are more interconnected now that we have passed a threshold where our collective actions decide the fate of humanity. Yeah, that, that, is, that is true. And that wasn't the case in the even in the 1980s. In the 90, no, I mean, if obviously we can make the argument that th- that nuclear weapons play a role like that, yeah. but um, it's not even warfare that we're talking about. We're yeah. talking about the peaceful destruction of our Earth. Yeah, yeah. That's, For that's instance, nice, through nice through climate change, it's a peaceful destruction of Earth, and we need to, we need to stop it, and we need to just think smart. We need to think smart about where to take this planet, and. That's why I really appreciate fully automated luxury communism because at least it's someone um, giving giving ideas. Whether I fully agree with all of it, I don't know because I only just learned about it. But I will say that it sounds pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I, I quite like it as well. Um, not being a communist myself, I do think most of the technologies that he's talking about and the dangers that he's talking about are real. Mm-hmm. The question is when. That's the only thing that he can't, mm. really, he can't really predict and that yeah. we can't either. It's, they will happen. The only question is when and what and what we want to do with them. 
And with that, I think that's a wrap on this episode. All right. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank her, thanks, Carlotta, for doing all the research. I learned a lot. You're welcome. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. feeling it's going to be beautiful.